In this lesson, we're going to look at simple non-fatal offenses against a person. Specifically, we are going to consider common assault. What common assault signifies is both assault and battery. Now, why we denote this as common assault is because there is no aggravating element as seen in burglary and robbery, both of which are crimes which carry a greater penalty than that of common assault. So having said that, let's first move on to assault. Now, assault could be considered as the apprehension of immediate and unlawful violence against the victim. Now, we must dissect this definition, so to speak, so that we can understand exactly how an assault can be committed. Firstly, one of the most pivotal words in relation to assault is apprehension. What exactly is apprehension? In one context, we can consider it as the fear in the mind of the victim that there would be an attack. Now, this fear need not be something prevalent throughout the act itself. So, in essence, we can consider assault being possibly committed through either words, as we've seen in Tumberville, but either way, it must be immediate. The apprehension itself must be concurrent and happening at that moment, it cannot be something, as in the victim cannot apprehend violence to occur somewhere down the line or in the future. It must be at that very moment. Now, a good case to actually consider is R and Ireland as well as R and Burstov. Both cases are available in your case summaries. These two cases are pivotal in relation to assault, in relation to apprehension of immediate violence, and I urge you to have a look at it as well. Now, it's worthwhile noting that the mens rea or the mental element in relation to assault is similar to that of battery itself, which is the physical act itself. Now, assault does not deal with physical contact or harm imposed on the victim. Assault merely implies the situation or the mental distress that is imposed on the victim. So we'll look at battery and then we'll understand how the mens rea also connects up with assault. Now, in the case of battery, have a look at Rolfe, which is available in your case summaries. It elucidates quite vividly on how a battery can be committed, as well as what aspects are required to be fulfilled in order for a defendant to be found guilty. Now, the means by which a battery can occur are not simply an attack, but rather it could even be touching. It must be noted that it's a physical assault itself, in relation to battery and it changes from person to person as in the victim might apprehend violence in the notion of assault and consider it to be a battery to be merely touched. Now as I mentioned earlier, interestingly, battery need not be harm caused to the person as in there need not be some form of hit or attack, merely touching is sufficient. Now in that light, where there is no harm involved, it must be noted that consent must be considered whether the victim himself or herself gave some form of consent in relation to the act which is purportedly committed by the defendant. Now, of course, it'll seem unfair to consider anything other than which causes harm to be a battery. For instance, in the daily course of events, when you're in the bus, when you get jostled, for instance, or someone bumps into you on the street, you cannot consider that to be a battery. And court will, of course, determine and overrule on such frivolous claims as well. Now, in relation to both assault and battery, the mens rea or the intention should be to inflict unlawful violence. Have a look at Vienna in relation to mens rea for both assault and battery. 
it also stipulates that recklessness is sufficient. Now, I mentioned earlier in relation to battery, where there is no harm that has been caused, there is consideration which needs to be made in relation to consent. There are some interesting cases in relation to this subsection of common assault, such as Williams and Nicole, both of which are available in your case summaries. Have a look at them. Now, the general rule is that if the victim has consented, there cannot be an assault or battery. The qualification here, of course, is where there has been harm that has been committed. However, this general rule is also qualified further with certain limitations. If the defendant intended harm, regardless of consent on the part of the victim, this won't apply, as in the defense of a consent being given by the victim won't apply. Moreover, we must consider the reality of the consent itself, whether it was real and whether there was some form of fraud or duress involved. So how exactly or what is the checklist to determine whether fraud has been committed and therefore consent is vitiated? On the one hand, we can consider the identity of the person, whether the victim thought uh, this was someone else, the defendant was someone else. Next, we can consider the nature of the act itself as well as thirdly, the quality of the act. Now in relation to points two and three, have a look at Williams available in your case summaries and it will elucidate further on where the consent element of the defense in relation to common assault would not heed any fruit for the defendant. That was simple non-fatal offenses against a person. In the next lesson, we consider the adjunct of this, which is aggravated non-fatal offenses against a person.